Good. Amen. Thank you, worship team. Man, thank you, Pastor John, for that prayer. What powerful songs. Um, if you want the list of those songs so you can read those words again, um, I just thought at one point, I'm like, wow, that was a great prayer because the stuff we just sang was um, some powerful words. We're going to dismiss our kids. Let's go ahead and, and uh, let them get to their, their class. Their teachers are out in the foyer. So if you want to send them out there. Um, we are in a series that we started two weeks ago. Today is, is week number three uh, called Why Not Women? Uh, looking at the role of women in the Bible, specifically through the lens of three passages of Scripture that, excuse me, over the years, I believe, I believe have been misinterpreted um, to maybe put women in a, in a place or in a corner that they should not be in, uh, according to the Scripture. And so uh, keep in mind that this is week number three. So if you've missed week one and two, you're kind of at a disadvantage, but those are on our podcast. There are CDs in the back. Uh, you can certainly catch up. I want to at least allude you to week number one, where we looked at women in ministry throughout the entire scripture and the foundation that that provides for us. Because when we look at difficult passages of scripture, we have to look at them in light of the entire scripture. We can't just try to make up our mind. And the thing about some of these difficult passages, and I want to throw this out there first while you're all alert and awake. Everyone alert, awake, alert. Whew, wow, I'm not. <laughs> Everybody awake and alert. Okay, we're going to talk again about a, a, a difficult passage of scripture, and I'm going to point out some things that I believe have been mistranslated and, and maybe misunderstood, and that's, again, my opinion. Uh, it's also the opinion of other scholars, but here's what I don't want to happen. I don't want you to leave here thinking, man, it seems like the whole word of God is just tainted. I mean, how can we understand anything, right? Because it seems like we've picked apart a couple passages, but can I tell you that these represent a very small minority of the word of God. The majority, overwhelming majority of the word of God is pretty clear, cut, and dry, okay? The parts about salvation are cut and dry. The parts about the cross, the parts about obedience, the, the parts about faith, all of that is not in question at all, okay? What's in question is some of these passages that deal with some of the, what we would call peripheral issues. Now, if you're a, a woman, maybe this isn't a peripheral issue for you. Maybe this is a big deal. But our salvation doesn't hang on these verses, okay? So I don't want you to, to, to develop this fear that maybe we've been tricked. or These are just a few passages, and they are hard to understand. Part of it we learned in Sunday school this morning is a result of the fact that we don't fully understand Jewish culture. And it's hard for us to understand what's being taught and, and meant in a passage of Scripture when we don't understand the context fully. That's why the Word of God tells us over and over again, study to show yourself approved. And as Americans, can I tell you, we are lazy. Lazy. We want it now and we want it at our fingertips. We don't want to diligently study the Word for ourselves. We want someone else to tell us how we're supposed to live. Put it in a nice little package and wrap a bow on it for me today, Pastor. Well, I'm not going to do that for you. I'm going to make you think. And I'm going to make you study. And I'm going to teach you to, to study for yourself so that, you know, if I die, your salvation isn't like, oh, what are we going to do, right? You can't depend on me. Now, I want to unpack some things for you and maybe help you. But at the end of the day, you're going to have to make up your mind about this passage because even scholars can't agree what this means. But... Since we're talking about head coverings today, I brought mine. I got this when we were in Israel because when you approach the Wailing Wall or the Western Wall in Israel, men, you have, you've got to have your head covered. Okay, You can't approach, and we're going to talk about why they believe that and why we believe that that's something that's inappropriate for today. And we're going to talk about whether or not you can pray with a baseball cap on too. Um, you know, because sometimes we think we, we can't pray with a baseball cap, but we're going to talk about all that stuff. But um, let's just go right to 1 Corinthians chapter 10. 1 Corinthians chapter 10. Um, you, you can look in your Bible. I, you genuine, I generally don't put the passage that we're looking at up on the screen because I want you to learn to bring your Bible and open your Bible and look at your Bible. But today I'm going to put it on the screen because we're going to read from the King James Version. I knew Mark would be very happy. Um, <laughs> Because, and I, I can't believe this is going to come out of my mouth, the King James Version in this passage, I believe, is the most accurate in its translation. And uh, we'll show you that. Now, I did clean it up a little. 
Um, and so this is a modified King James Version, not the New King James, because I don't think the New King James is as accurate, but the King James Version, but I took out the, ye, the ye's and the these and the thines, and I maybe made it a little more modern, so uh, bear with me if you will. First Corinthians, we're going to start in chapter 10, verse 31. Paul says these words, whether therefore you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. See, be lifted high. Everything, every action I do is going to lift him higher if I do the right thing. Give no, give none offense. I should say no offense. Sorry, I didn't clean up the King James as well as I could have. Give no offense neither to the Jews nor to the Gentiles nor to the church of God. Even as I please all men in all things, not seeking my own profit, but the profit of many that they may be saved. In other words, Paul's saying, you know what, I don't do whatever I want to do. I do what's best for others. I do what's best for the church. I do what's best for the Jews. I do what's best for the Gentiles. Okay? Be you followers of me, even as I also am of Christ. Because that's what Christ modeled. He didn't do what he wanted. He did what was best for his disciples. Did what was best for us. Did what was best for the people. He didn't do what he wanted. So as Paul follows Christ... We are to follow him. Now I praise you, brothers and sisters, that you remember me in all things and you keep the ordinances as I delivered them to you. But I would have you know that the head of every man is Christ and the head of the woman is the man and the head of Christ is God. Every man praying or prophesying, having his head covers, dishonors his head. But every woman that prays or prophesies with her head uncovered dishonors, or excuse me, dishonors her head. For that is even all one as if she were shaven or as if her head was shaved. For if the woman be not covered, let her also have her hair cut short, be shorn. But if it be a shame for a woman to have short hair or shaved head, let her be covered. Okay? For a man indeed ought not to cover his head for as much as he is the image and glory of God. But the woman is the glory of the man. For the man is not of the woman, but the woman of the man. Neither was the man created for the woman, but the woman for the man. For this cause ought the woman to have power on her head because of the angels. Nevertheless, neither is the man without the woman, neither the woman without the man in the Lord. For as the woman is of the man, even so is the man also by the woman, but all things of God. Judge in yourselves. Is it comely that a woman pray unto God uncovered? Does, oh man, I did terrible. Does not even nature itself teach you that if a man have long hair, it is a shame unto him? But if a woman have long hair, it is a glory to her. For her hair is given her for a covering. But if any man seem to be contentious, we have no such custom, neither the churches of God. Now there's a whole lot in there. And I'm going to promise you there are things that I am even, even in this chair right now wrestling with. Okay, um, because the Apostle Paul, wow, he, number one, is very smart and very educated. And so his arguments are always very uh, orderly, if you will. Paul was a definitely left brain, linear type of person. Okay, so he doesn't make haphazard arguments and randomness. There is definite direct order to what he's saying. One of the things I want us to keep in mind, in the Old Testament, there is no, nothing in the law of God that subjects a woman to a man. Okay? There's no law that sets up an order, if you will, in the home of how a husband is head, man, women is secondary, and then the rest. There's also nothing in the law about the length of hair. There's nothing in the law that says men should not have long hair. There's nothing in the law, yeah, be quiet. There's nothing <laughs> in the law, there's something in the law of Pastor Tom. <laughs> There's, no, there's nothing in the law that says a woman should not have short hair. Now, there are rabbinical teachings. There are Jewish customs that teach about the length of hair. And so what Paul is dealing with in this pas passage, and context is so important, is how men and women should minister, pray or prophesy publicly in the body of Christ. That's what he's dealing with. And so I think for us to take out of this passage... Passages of scripture that seem to be saying one thing and apply it to every part of life would be inaccurate. 
we've got to look at what, is it, what does it mean for us in the context of what Paul is talking about and then does that then apply to other areas of life? And so that's what we want to look at. And we're going to look at each of these, as many of these verses as we can, and we'll see what happens. But here, um, before we go back to verse uh, 3, that's where we're going to start. Let me remind you of the most glaringly obvious part of this text, if we will. Uh, the most glaringly obvious part of this text is that uh, women are being taught how to uh, pray or prophesy publicly in the church. Okay? They're being taught how to do it. So that means they're allowed to do it. Did you catch that? So that should settle that argument uh, for once and for all there. But it doesn't, unfortunately. Now the context of this entire passage, it's actually pulled out of a larger argument where the Apostle Paul is correcting some of the new freedoms in the body of Christ. These people have been set free, okay? There is freedom in Christ. But Paul is saying, hey, you have got to exercise your freedom as it pertains to other people, okay? You can't be free if you're freedom and you exercise that freedom and you walk on somebody else. That's not how you're supposed to use that freedom. Don't do that. He does it in the, the whole, uh, should I eat food, sacrifice idols? Well, you know what? You're free to eat anything you want. But if another brother or sister sees you eating that and it's going to cause them to stumble, don't eat it. Paul even says, I will never eat meat again if it's going to cause people to stumble. I mean, in other words, I'm not going to say, hey, I'm free in Christ to do whatever I want. No, no, no. You miss it. I mean, Christ was free to do whatever he wanted, but he humbled himself. He gave up his rights and privileges and where to follow him. Then he talks about this prophesying and the whole, should I cover my head, uncover my head? You know, here's your freedom, but exercise your freedom in a way that honors others. And then he goes on to talk about communion in the Lord's Supper. And you know what? You're free. What are you doing? And he corrects them. And so this is in the context, these rights and how to exercise them. In verse three, he, he starts with this. I would have you know that the head of every man is Christ and the head of the woman is the man. And the head of Christ is God. Now, when he says that the head of every man is Christ, he's not meaning that Christ is not the head of women. In fact, the word man here could refer also to just humans. Christ is the head of mankind. It could. Now, most people don't translate that, it that way. The word is most commonly not used that way, but it is used that way, and it could be used here. And even if it's not, Scripture teaches us that Christ is the head of all men and all women. I mean, we're all together under the cross. He's ultimately our head, okay? Now, that's a plural statement. Every man, the head of every man is Christ. Then singularly, he says, the head of woman, a woman, is a man. Okay, that's a singular phrase. So what Paul is not saying here is that all women are or excuse me, all men are the head of all women, okay? That's not what he's saying. He's singularing it out here for, for the sake of argument. And then he says that the head of Christ is God. So the question is, what is the head? What's it mean? Well, it's literally the word for head, physical head. And if it's used metaphorically, it could mean leader, authority, head. We also use it as um, source or origin, meaning the headwaters of a stream or the beginning point, the source or the origin. It could mean either one. So what does it mean in this passage? What's he saying? Well, the head of every man is Christ. He's definitely our authority. He could be saying that. He is definitely our source and our origin. So he could be saying that. Now, the head of every, or excuse me, the head of a woman is a man. Well, could he be saying that a man has authority, head, rulership over a woman? He could. Could he be saying that man is the source of woman? He could. Because woman was taken from man. So it could, it could be either. Now, is he saying that Christ, the head of Christ is God? Is he saying that God is the authority over Christ? I find that hard to believe. You might say, well, but hey, he submitted himself to the Father. Exactly. The God the Father is not the head of the Trinity. Okay? Father, Son, and Holy Spirit are equal. Christ submitted himself to the Father. So the Father didn't 
claim headship over the son, the son submitted himself to the father. So I don't know if that's what it means. But when I look at it and say, well, is Christ, is God the source of Christ? I don't think so. But if you refer to it as scripture, through scripture, he is the only begotten son of the father. Now we know that Christ existed with God in the beginning. He was not created by God. But in the sake of him coming to earth, he could be the begotten son of God. So it could be that the source of him coming comes from God. So I don't know. I don't know what the word head means for sure, but I tend to believe that what Paul is not saying is that man is the head of or the leader of the wife. I don't think this verse teaches it. Now, whether other verses in Scripture do, we're going to get to that in a minute, but I don't think this verse does because what Paul is dealing with here is head coverings. That's what he's about to go into. And I know that we read this verse first, but we got to read the rest of the verses. And as we read the rest of the verses, I hope you, you'll see maybe what, what I'm talking about. He goes first to verse four. So a man, if he prays or prophesies covering his head, he dishonors his head. Who's his head? Christ. Christ is dishonored when a man prays or prophesies with his head covered. What's he talking about? See this head covering? You know why I had to wear this at the wailing wall? Because I was, I was unworthy to stand before a holy God, and I have to cover my head. That's the Jewish tradition. I have got to go into the presence of God with my head covered as a sign of shame. Now, do you see why Paul is like, hey, dude, we don't do that now. Get that thing off your head. Do not pray or prophesy mean, before the Lord saying, uh, I have to come before the Lord in shame. No, no, no. You dishonor Christ. You dishonor your head. You dishonor the source of your salvation in Christ. When you come before the Lord and you pray or you prophesy with your head covering, meaning you don't deserve to do this, you are shaming what he has done. Don't do that. That's a shame for men to do that. Now, is Paul then applying that to us and meaning if I pray with a baseball cap on, I'm shaming God? No. No. I mean, if you feel like you need to take your hat off as a sign of respect and honor, because there was a time in our culture when you walked in a building, you took your hat off as a sign of respect. When you met someone, you took your hat off and shook their hand as a sign of respect. That was a cultural thing. Can I tell you something in America? That's gone. You can wear a hat wherever you want. You can wear a hat. Uh, I've seen hats in weddings. People in the crowd at a wedding wearing a baseball hat. And even I stand up there and think, get your hat off. I mean, there are some limits, but there really aren't in our culture. Now, whether you think that there should be or there shouldn't be doesn't matter. It's not biblical. So we can't say to someone, you got to take your hat off because the Bible says so. It does not. Okay? But if you're coming before the Lord with a sense of shame, that's not biblical. Don't do that. So that's what he's saying. So for a woman to come before the Lord with a head covering would also be a shame. If she's wearing that head covering the same way, the same, for the same reason that the man is, that would be a shame. She should take it off too. But Paul doesn't stop there. He goes on. Look what he says in verse 5 and 6. Every woman that prays or prophesies with her head uncovered dishonors her head. Who was her head? Man. Amen. Why? Why? It would be as if her head were shaved or her head were cut short. Well, what's that mean? Prostitutes. You know what set prostitutes apart? Short hair, head shaved. Why? Because you're selling yourself. And you want people to know you're for sale. So you, you don't wear a sign that says, I am a prostitute, choose me. There's, this is the signifying. Your head is not covered and your hair is cut short, your head is shaved. That's a sign that you are a prostitute. You're making yourself available. Now, the other thing about women wearing a head covering in rabbinical teaching was, for, law, for the hair of a woman, it was sensual to men. And so the only person that should see your hair, ladies, is your husband. Because the hair of a woman was just as sensual as her naked body. That's what the rabbis believed. That's what the Jews taught. And so your hair should be up and it should be covered because the only person that should see that is your husband. You see why that's important for you to cover your head? So if you stand up to prophesy and your head is uncovered, you are showing people what was reserved for your husband. So here we got a problem. 
We don't want to cover our heads because we don't want to stand before the Lord in shame. So should I, have, I, I should have the right to uncover my head because I'm no longer shamed because of what Christ has done for me. But when I do that, it makes my husband uncomfortable because uh, that's reserved for him in this culture. People shouldn't see that. Or, you know, I, it could be a sign of adultery. It could be a sign of, of being a prostitute. And so what, who am I shaming? If I'm a woman and I'm praying with my head uncovered, I'm shaming my husband. Now, verse seven through nine. So a man should not cover his head because he's in the image of, and glory of God, but the woman is the glory of man. For the man is not of the woman, but the woman of the man. Neither was the man created for the woman, but the woman for the man. Now, I know we can look at this passage and say, see, woman is created for man, but Paul is gonna in essence, contradict this or balance it, if you will, in just a couple of verses, so please hang on. So when he says that man is the glory of God, we know from Genesis that man and woman were created in the image of God. Both of them together were created in the image of God. He's not saying that women are not for the glory of God. But the woman is for the man. If a woman is married to her husband, that hair, that body, everything is reserved for her, her husband. That's what she was created for, to be brought to him, if you will. And so she is kind of at a loss here. Do I cover? Do I uncover? What do I do? I believe that Paul gives her the freedom to uncover in just a moment, and that's in verse 10, but we're going to skip to verse 11 because this is where Paul says this. Nevertheless, the man is not without the woman, or not independent of a woman. Neither the woman is independent of the man in the Lord. For as the woman is from the man, so also the man now comes from the woman. You catch his play on words? So what he just said in the verse before this, that you know, man is not of the woman, he has just now said, man comes from the woman. It's almost like he's balancing these two things out but at the, at the end of the day, all things are from God. He's the final say on all of this. So let's go back to verse 10 now. Do women have the right to uncover? Because I believe this verse is saying, you know what, woman, you have the right to uncover your head, but you're not independent of your husband. And so if uncovering your head is going to be a shame and reproach to him, cover your head. Cover your head, but don't cover your head as a shame before God. Do it because you don't want to bring shame on your husband. This is what he says in verse 10. For this cause ought the woman to have power on her head because of the angels. Now, the Greek word that I put up there, exosia epi, is in the scriptures 15 times. 14 of those times, it is translated as authority over, jurisdiction of, ruler of, control over, power for, right to judge, the, the right to render a decision. Every single time. In this passage alone, Translators have translated it as, not the woman ought to have the right to choose on her head, but she should have a sign of authority on her head. Meaning that when she prays with her head covered, she is now telling people, my husband is my authority. Really? That's kind of a stretch to me. In fact, in your translations, the words sign of or symbol of are probably in italics, meaning those are added by the translators to bring clarification to the text. Well, I don't think they're clarifying this text. I think they're butchering this text. If this word in every other instance is not meant as a sign of authority that someone else has over you, why are we translating it that way here? Now, again, I'm not saying yet that the husband is not the head of the home. But I don't think we can use this passage to, to, to prove that. Because I believe this passage is talking about why or, not, why or why not we should cover our head. And I believe the woman in this moment has the right to uncover her head when she prays or prophesies. But it would be a reproach to her husband and that would be the wrong exercise of your freedom. And so women, you have the right over your own head, cover, uncover. But if it's gonna shame your husband, cover your head. That's, in essence, what the Apostle Paul is saying in that passage. So, Paul goes on, or he gives us this phrase. Oh, I, I can't skip this phrase just because it's hard. Um, because of the angels. What in the world? Um, why is he talking about this? In fact, I had someone tell me this week, they don't even 
touch this passage because they can't understand it. <laughs> um, if you look up 12 different commentaries about what that phrase means, you will find 12 different opinions. Meaning, we don't have any idea what the Apostle Paul is saying because of the angels. But if we reference it from Scripture, always use Scripture to interpret Scripture. Okay? That's what we need to do. There are times that the Apostle Paul, in 1 Corinthians chapter 4, and in 1 Corinthians chapter 13, is talking about angels. And he's using it to reference the fact that we are, uh, that there's no gender distinction of angels. So is Paul talking about the fact that there's just not going to be gender distinction? In fact, Jesus, when he referenced the resurrection, said you're not going to marry or be given in marriage. There's going to be, you're going to be like the angels, meaning you're not going to be male and female. When we get to heaven, there's no gender distinction. And so if there's no gender distinction in heaven, why is there gender distinction on earth? Let it be done on earth as it is in heaven, don't we pray? And so is Paul talking about in this passage, and I can't say for sure, that there's no gender distinction anymore between male and female? It's possible. Paul also says in 1 Corinthians chapter 6 that we're going to judge the angels. And so maybe what Paul is saying, man, you guys are worried about this trivial thing about head covered, head uncovered. One day you're going to judge the angels. Let's grow up here. Just make a decision on this thing and let's move on to things that are more important. Is he saying that? He could be because in the next verse, I didn't put it up there, but in the next verse he says this, judge for yourselves what's right here. Judge for yourselves what's right. And so it could be that he's saying, you know what, you're going to judge the angels. Let's grow up in our faith and let's move on. And so what is Paul saying in this passage? I think he's talking about head covering. I don't think he's talking about the head of the household. But what does the Bible then teach about men being the head of the household. Would you like to know? Me too. First Peter chapter three. In the same way. Now that word, in the same way. What, in the same way is what? Well, if you go back to first Peter chapter two, he's talking about slaves and masters. Which brings up a whole other can of worms that we're not gonna open today. Is Paul saying that there should be slavery? I don't think he is, but we don't have time to talk about that. So, in the same way as slaves obey their masters, wives, you must accept the authority of your husbands. Then even if some refuse to obey the good news, your godly lives will speak to them without any words. They will be won over by observing, excuse me, your pure and reverent lives. Don't be concerned about the outward beauty of fancy hairstyles, expensive jewelry, or beautiful clothes. Now, is Paul saying you must be plain? No, don't make it your aim. To beautify yourself on the outside alone is what he's saying. Some people have taken this scripture and made it sound like if a woman wears makeup, it's a sin. If a woman wears jewelry, it's a sin. That is not what Paul is saying. Women look beautiful. Make your hair look good. Buy nice clothes if you can afford it and you don't go into debt. If you're going into debt, Financial Peace University tonight, 6 o'clock. Okay? We're going to talk about that. Buy what you can afford. But you're allowed to look nice. But don't let that be to seduce people. Don't wear clothes that are inappropriate. The scripture says that too. Wear modestly, dress yourselves. And don't be as concerned about your outward appearance as you are your inward appearance. Meaning look more beautiful on the inside than you do on the outside. Let that be your aim. That's what he's really saying there. So, you should clothe yourselves with a beauty that comes from within, the unfading beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which is so precious to God. Can I tell you, he loves gentle and quiet spirits, not just in our women, but also in our men. This is how the holy women of God made themselves beautiful. They put their trust in God and accepted the authority of their husbands. For, in, for instance, Sarah obeyed her husband, Abraham. He, she called him master. You are her daughters when you do what is right without fear of what your husbands might do. Now, I absolutely believe that this passage could say that husbands are the head of the wives. But as the devil's advocate, if you will, let me also tell you what this passage could mean. In other words, let me show you that there could be a flaw in that logic, that you just don't take things at face value and say, yep, that's what that means. What's the overarching view of this passage? What's the message that he's trying to get across, across to wives? Wives, worry about the salvation of your husbands. That's the, in my opinion, that's what he's saying. 
you be concerned about your husband's salvation. So accept the authority of your husband. In this culture, again, the, the man had the absolute authority over his wife, completely unchecked in Jewish culture. There was nothing that said a husband could do, he could do anything to his wife he wanted. It, he was, she was his property. If at, at the very least, you and I would have to agree that God is now saying that that is no longer the case. Women should be set free from the idea that, that they are the property of men. And men should lose that logic as well. And so what he's saying to them is, you know, be subject to your husband. Don't be afraid of what that would do for you. Don't be afraid that you're going to get, again, treated like property. Put your trust in God. Look at Sarah. Sarah was subject, she even called him master. Okay, so don't be afraid of what your husband is going to do to you. Be afraid of the Lord. Be, be fearful of the Lord. Put your trust in the Lord. You can subject yourself to your husband and be gentle and be of quiet spirit. Now that word quiet, quiet's probably not a good word there. That means to be peaceful in your spirit. Peaceful in your spirit. In other words, don't make a big deal of it. Just walk walk in the authority of your husband in this situation and just let God trust, let God handle it, if you will. Now, men could take that passage and they could use it, and men have used it throughout history. They have used it to be controlling of their homes, to be dictators of their homes, to manipulate things, to beat their wives, to do all kinds of things. Can I tell you, men, none of that was written to you because it's his wives. Now, Peter says to you in the same way. In the same way. That's an important phrase because slaves submit to your masters in the same way. Wives submit to your husbands in the same way. Now, he doesn't say submit, but I think he says something even worse. Give honor to your wives. That's higher than submission and I'm going to tell you something men we don't do this I'm going to be so hard on us for the rest of this message that you may not like me treat your wife with understanding that word is the word gnosko to know that's the exact same phrase that the apostle Paul says I want to know Christ. I want to know him so intimately. I want to study him. I want to experience him. I want to know him fully. He says to us, study your wife that way. Already time for an altar call, isn't it? We don't do that. We don't study our wives to know them and to treat them with understanding. We mock them. In fact, I saw the picture this week on Facebook. Men, one switch, on, off. Women, 30 switches. Can't figure them out. And we say it all the time. We can't figure women out. They're so, you, they're so weird. They're not like us. Study them. Not study them in a book. Study your partner. Talk to her. Find out what makes her tick. See what the, see what the Apostle Paul is doing here? For, this, for up to this point, men treat your wife like property. She's just nothing. He's saying... Be a student of your life. That is like radical. That's worse than him saying submit to your wife. <laughs> I wish he would have said that. That would have been easier to take. Because this is hard. Then he says, she may be weaker. That word weaker, physically. Physically. The, the overwhelming majority of the time that that word is used in Scripture, it is referring to being physically weak. In fact, the Apostle Paul in 2 Corinthians 10, when he's, or 11, when he's talking about people being weak because they're partaking in the Lord's Supper incorrectly, that's the same word. They're, they're weak. Their bodies are weak. Can I tell you something? Men, most women are physically weaker than men. You could dominate your wife easily. Don't you dare. Study her because she's weaker, but she's your equal partner in God's gift of new life. Equal partner in God's gift of new life. Treat her as you should, so your prayers will not be hindered. That's powerful. No demon in hell can separate you from the love of God, but your treatment of your wife can hinder your prayers. That's tough. 
One last passage of scripture. I know we're getting close to 12. Don't get too nervous. Ephesians chapter 5. Don't be drunk with wine because that will ruin your life. Let me tell you why I put this this way. Because some of you are looking at that like, Pastor Tom, did you forget where to put the words? Uh, No, I did this on purpose. Because this is all one sentence in the Greek. Uh, Actually, two sentences. But from don't to savior, one sentence. One sentence. English translators will break it up to try to make, and I'm not telling you that English translators are manipulative and sneaky. They're doing, the, they're doing what they feel is correct. And when they translate something or they add words and italicize, what they're trying to do is interpret the word of God the best that they can, the best that they know how, and to help us put, be able to understand it. Because for too long, the church didn't have the word, only the pastors had the word, and they actually, cru- or they actually burned at the stake men of God who wanted to translate the scriptures into a language people could read. And the church leaders said, no, and we're burning you for that. That is crazy. And so they're doing the best they can. I'm not trying to down them, but this is all one sentence, and so I put it as one sentence so we would see it. Don't be drunk with wine because that will ruin your life. Instead, be filled with the Holy Spirit. What would that look like? Well, you would sing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs among yourselves and making music to the Lord in your hearts and always giving thanks for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ and submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. Wives to your husbands as to the Lord for the husband is the head of the wife as Christ is the head of the church, his body, of which he's Savior. So when Paul says, I know our translations say wives submit to your husbands, but they put a period after submit to one another out of reverence for Christ, period. And then they even start a new paragraph, wives submit to your husbands. The word submit is not in the Greek language. The reason it's not there is because the, the, the precedent verse or the precedent phrase says submit to one another, wives to your husbands. And notice when he says husbands, you're the head of your wife, he says just as Christ is the head of the church of which he's Lord. Oh, I'm sorry, he didn't. He could have. Is Christ the Lord of his church? Absolutely. Does he have the absolute final say over his church? Absolutely. Is it his way or no way? Yeah. And he could have easily said of which he's Lord, but what did he say of which he is Savior? Now you might think the Apostle Paul just, you know, as intelligent as this man is and as learned as he is in the Scriptures, I don't think he picked the word Savior by mistake. As the church submits to Christ, wives, you should submit to your husbands in everything. Paul was saying this whole phrase, if you're going to be filled with the Holy Spirit, here's what it should look like. When you gather together, sing psalms, sing hymns, sing spiritual songs, make music to the Lord in your heart, all of that is a sign of being spirit-filled. I mean, giving thanks to the Lord, sign of being spirit-filled. The way you act at home is a sign of being spirit-filled or not. So if you come to church and you sing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, and then you go home and you're cats and dogs at each other, how can we claim to be filled with the Spirit? And that's not to shame people. If you're struggling, who hasn't at one time? Get help. It's not supposed to be that way. If you're at each other's throats at home, it is not supposed to be that way. Don't be afraid to go to someone for help. You want peace in your home? Wives, again, submit to your husbands as we submit to to Christ. What does that mean? I I don't know, but I'm going to talk to the men. Because this is what he says to us. He said 40 words to the wives in that passage about submitting to your husbands. He says 150 to husbands. If you're doing the math, that's almost four times as many words. So if the husband is to be the head of the home, let's at least correct what that means. I mean, I, I still don't know if the husband is supposed to be the head, if we're supposed to be co-heads, but here, here, let me let you into my brain for just a minute. If there are three people that are in charge of an organization... Somebody's got to make the final decision. Or those three people all just sit there and look at each other. I mean, they can be co-equal partners in that firm, but somebody's got to be the guy that signs on the dotted line, if you will. And any business that doesn't operate that way fails. And so I get it all, but I just don't know how to process it. And if I'm, I've been praying, Lord, help me process it. Don't let, me, don't let that be just a human understanding. 
Let me process it. And so let's say that husbands are supposed to be the head of their home. Look at this. Husbands, this means love your wives. Just as Christ, again, to be spirit-filled, this is what it means. Love your wife. Just as Christ loved the church altar call. Husbands, there's not one of us that are loving our wives the way Christ loved the church. Not daily in practice. Amen. And that's just not okay. So I don't know that we should ever talk about whether or not wives should submit to their husbands until we first understand what it means to love our wives the way Christ loved the church. And husbands, if we would start taking the initiative to love our wives as Christ loved the church, maybe our homes would be in a whole lot more order than they are. And we wouldn't even have to have this discussion today as to whether or not the husband is the head of the home. In fact, I'll show you at the end of this. He gave up his life for her to make her holy and clean. He washed her by the cleansing of God's word. He did this to present her to himself as a glorious church without spot or wrinkle or any other blemish. Instead, she will be holy and without fault. It didn't say he pointed out her faults. He washed her. So men, instead of walking around telling our wives how they don't measure up, maybe we should be walking around with a towel and a bowl washing her feet. In the same way, husbands ought to love their wives as they love their own bodies. You take care of your body. You take time to eat the things you want to eat because you like them. The time you devote to your own body, you ought to devote to knowing your wife. Why are our homes messed up because wives won't submit? No. Because as husbands, we won't love our lives as Christ loved the church. You know, we like to figure out, well, why did God make women, men the head? Because women are more emotional than men. Women are, and we try to create all these reasons. Hush and just love your wife. Stop making fun of the fact that she's more emotional than you. She's got more buttons than you. She's just, we can't figure out the woman's mind. Figure it out. Study her until you figure it out. Make it your goal. You did it when you were dating. Do it now. Don't worry, I'm preaching to myself just as hard as you. I don't like this either. My flesh doesn't. I love it. I mean, when I see this, I'm like, dude, why haven't I been doing this from the beginning? For a man who loves his wife actually shows he loves himself. No one hates his own body. He feeds and cares for it, just as Christ cares for his church. And we're members of his body, as the scriptures say. Funny, we go back to this one again. A man leaves his father and mother and is joined to his wife, and the two are united into one. He goes back to that passage again. The man leaves his father and mother, and they become one. This is a great mystery. Amen. But it's an illustration. It's an illustration of the way Christ and the church are one. Man, you want to, maybe the major reason people aren't accepting the word of God as we present it to them is because they're not seeing it in our marriages. Man, husbands, if we would start stepping up and loving our wives as Christ loved the church, and they could see the mystery of the church being one with Christ in our marriages, in our homes, all across the city, you don't think people would take notice of that? And here's the thing, it's not gonna come because you come to the altar and pray for it. It's gonna come for some of you because you get counseling. It's gonna come for some, for some of you because you just say, what do we need to do? Men, you're, go to your wife and say, what do we need to do to make our relationship better? Because she's the relationship expert. You're not, we're not. So we, let's not try to fix this. Let's just go to them and say, honey, what a, in fact, your homework is go home and sometime today say, what do we need to do? What do we need to do? And now wives, <laughs> keep it simple. <laughs> oh, for goodness sake, if your husband has the guts to say that to you, give him one thing. One thing, okay? No, husbands, realize that that's just the tip of the iceberg. And she's gonna give you one thing and when we get that worked out and we actually start making that a part of our lives, 
Not like one thing, okay, I've done that, now what's next? It's let's take this one thing and make it a part of our lives until it becomes so habitual we don't even think about it anymore, but we do it. Now what's the next thing we need to do? Yeah, I know. Husbands, for some of you, it may just be give up the remote control. And we laugh about that, but man, When is the last time, husband, you gave the remote to your wife and you didn't pick up your iPad or your iPhone or your computer and you just sat and watched what she wanted to watch without mocking it? I don't know that I could possibly even think of a time in my married life that I did that. Instead, I just want to mock. Maybe that's the time we study our wives. Why does she like this show? (laughs) What is it about this show that appeals to my wife. I mean, I know this is kind of funny, but it's a, a spoonful of sugar makes the medicine go down better, right? This is the way we do it in real life. We study our wives. And men, for the most part, we've been led to believe that we're just the leader of our home and we get to make, call the shots and make the decisions. And that, nothing could be further from the truth. You have a partner that God has given you because you don't have all the information you need to make decisions. And if you are not drawing that wisdom out of your wife because you're loving her as Christ loved the church, you're not making good decisions. We're probably making selfish decisions most of the time. So, husbands, love your wives. This last verse. So again I say, Each man must love his wife as he loves himself. And again, the translation here, and the wife, the phrase, the the, the words that's used there, again, is translated in order that or so that or as a result, this will happen. But I understand the translators look at this and think, okay, well, Paul's just given instruction to women, instruction to men, and so he's summarizing it all. And then so um, he's saying that uh, both, he's summarizing both of these, so something for the man, something for the wife. I don't agree with that. I think he's summarizing what he said to the men. I don't think he's summarizing to the men and the women. I think he's summarizing the men. And if, if that's true, then it's translating more true with the way that word's translated in other places in Scripture. So again, I say each man must love his wife as he loves himself in order that his wife will respect her husband so that your wife will respect you. You don't demand respect from your wife. You love her as Christ loved the church, and because of that, she will respect you. I mean, the Scriptures tell your wife to submit to you, and can I tell you something? That is a fearful thing. We just read it in Peter's words. Woman, the Scriptures say to women, don't be afraid. Trust God. Don't be a, a cause for her to fear. Let her be at peace in that. So let's stand together. I've kept you long enough. And I've beat men up enough. But here's what I'm going to challenge you to do, men. If you're here today, and I'm going to call you out. If you say, you know what? I I will admit I have not loved my wife as Christ has loved the church. I want you, men, and you say, I want to start doing that. I want you to come and I want you to, to stand here in the front. Come. I want to love my wife as Christ loved the church. If you're single and you're a man, uh, now's the time to prepare. So don't feel like you can't come. And so if you're here and you say, I'm not married, but I want to love my wife as Christ loved the church someday, um, you might get one faster. (laughs) Man, I know I've put us in a tough spot, but I think this is the spot we need to be in. Um. I wish I could tell you, hey, follow me. I've worked this out in my life. Go talk to my wife, see how it goes. Uh, I've been really bad at this Um, to the point that I'm gonna go home today at some point and ask the question, what do we need to do? How How can we be better at this? How can I love you as Christ loved the church? What do I need to do? How can I wash your feet? I mean, I'm not saying you need to get a bowl and towel and wash your feet, but you need to wash your feet in life and serve her, and love her the way Christ has loved us. That is the tallest order of Scripture. And so none of us are ever going to say the word submit again until we start loving our wives as Christ has loved the church. And then here's the thing. I don't think we'll have to. 
So Father, thank you for these men and their bravery and boldness to stand up and admit that we've gotten this wrong. We've gotten it backwards. God, we, you know, whether or not your word clearly shows us that men should be the head of the home or not, it no longer even matters. Here's what matters. You've asked us to love our wives as Christ has loved the church. And we have failed. We are selfish. We have been selfish. We have been rude. We have been ignorant. And some, God, we've done it sometimes by mistake and we've done it sometimes on purpose. And we repent before you today. Holy Spirit, give us the courage to also repent to our wives. And Father, help us to be a student of our wives as your word has commanded us. To know her. Help us to treat her with honor and respect so that nothing hinders our prayers. Help us to love her so that she in turn is able to respect us. So that there's no fear in her heart to submit herself to us in any way, shape, or form. Father, that ultimately we would model this in this community and the mystery of Christ in the church would resonate throughout this community. So Father, set this church and this city apart for you that we would be known as men of God. Men who love their wives as you've loved the church. I pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. All right, thank you, man. Remember your homework. Repent before your wife and then ask her, what, are you gonna, what do we need to do? And let her tell you. God bless you guys as you go. Next week, we're going to look at 1 Timothy, and we're going to talk about whether or not women should ever have authority over men. So you won't want to miss that.